uh, as well. And uh, so, Daryl, take it away. All right, let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, God, as we come together, uh, gather together as your people, God, help our hearts um, put things aside that we've brought here. God, give our give our hearts a break from that. Help us focus on you. God, uh, all the all the strife that we have going on in the world, all the things that have been done. God, that when we come together, that we might focus on you and your glory and lift your name up. Um, God, thank you for um, guiding us in our life uh, with the illumination provided by the Holy Spirit. God, I pray that you give uh, give this new venture of the public reading of Scripture, life. God, be there with us. God, help our minds understand your word. God, I pray you work in our hearts and drive out all iniquity. God, help our hearts be more aligned to you every day. And I pray you bless this service. Amen. Psalm 15, it's a short one, blink and you'll miss it. <clears throat> o Lord, who shall sojourn in your tent? Who shall dwell in your holy hill? He who walks blamelessly and does what is right and speaks truth in his heart, who does not slander with his tongue and does no evil to his neighbor, nor takes up a reproach against his friends, in whose eyes a vile person is despised, but who honors those who fear the Lord, who swears to his own hurt and does not change, who does not put out his money with interest and does not take a bribe against the innocent. He who does these things shall never be moved. Psalm 15. Let's stand as we uh, continue in our worship. Come thou fount, come thou king. Strength of mercy never ceasing, songs of love of his grace. Teach me some melodious sonnet, sung by flaming tongues above. Make a time picked upon it, Christ of thy darkness till you came and rescued me. I was bound by all my sin and your love came and set me free. Now my soul is made a new song. Now my heart has found a home. Now your grace is always with me. And I'll never be alone. 
to do justly, and to walk mercy, and to walk humbly with thy God. So we move into our last song, as that you stand, and I have a question, though. The question is this, is there any good thing we have not been given from our Father above if we know Christ? We have every treasure of heaven if we know him as Lord and Savior. So when we are lacking, it's not because of him. It's because of us. And what draws us away is our hearts to the love of the world and the things of ourselves. So this next song is not about what God has failed to give us, but a passionate request for the Lord to bring us back to him, that we give up the love of the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, 
and come back to him. for my life to know and follow hard 
Lord, we come before you, before Dan comes up to give us the message, to open your word before us. Father, we come to confess, Lord, we so easily chase after the things of this world. We get ensnared in it. Lord, we become controlled by it. And Lord, we come before you to confess that we fall short of your glory. Father, we ask that years by your power of your spirit, we would turn away daily to the things that keep us from glorifying your name in our homes and in our workplaces, with our children, in our community, in our church. Father, we give you thanks for the wondrous freedom we have in Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sin, for a clean slate before you to be counted pure and righteous, not because of what we have done, because of what Christ has done for us and does through us every single day. Oh, Father, continue to bless the services. Dan comes now, and, and uh, Father, uh, may we be receptive and humble to your word and to the message he brings. And Father, that we may be more Christ-like when we leave the doors today than when we came in. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Flip that switch. There we go. Don't worry. It was me, not them. All right. So uh, as we continue in our catechism questions today, uh, we are on catechism 11. And uh, so if we could go back to that, because we didn't cover those yet, just want to work our way through that uh, in, the, in the service. So, uh, Lane, we need you to go back uh, on the slides, back to that, the catechism question number 11. Um, if we can get there. All right. All right, here we go. Good, thank you. All right, so I'll ask the question, what does the Lord require in the sixth, the seventh, and the eighth commandments? And the answer, and let's read that together, and it goes like this. Six, that we do not hurt or hate or be hostile to our neighbor, but be patient and peaceful, pursuing even our enemies with love. Seventh that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, or whatever might lead to them. Eight, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else or withhold any good from someone we might benefit. The shorter answer is this. Six, that we do not hurt or hate our neighbor. Seventh, that we live purely and faithfully. Eight, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to us. And the scripture reference, and it's just an amazing passage, and I, I'm going to read it to you in its totality. And so um, I, I just I would invite you to turn in your Bible so, to Romans chapter uh, chapter 13. Romans chapter 13. I think it might be about page 1127 in your few, the few Bibles. 
Uh, or if you have your own Bible, that's great, awesome. Just because we offer a few Bibles doesn't mean you shouldn't bring your own. All right? So uh, we love the Word of God. We love it in print. We love to see it and to be able to read it. So Romans chapter 13, we're going to look at verses 8 through 14. This is not in your notes, so don't worry. So it's not going to show up there. I'm going to read this to you. And the, the, the piece is, is entitled, Fulfilling the Law Through Love. And verse 8 begins, Owe no one anything except to love each other, for the one who loves an, uh, another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, you shall, uh, and any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling or jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. It's an incredible passage. And as we begin this again, as we begin our, our, in our notes today, just a reminder, as we work our way through the Ten Commandments, we are reminded that there, that, uh, that, uh, there is no escaping the essential order that is given to the commandments. We must understand that. We must realize that today. It's not just some random hodgepodge, thrown together list of things, suggestions, rules, laws, whatever we want to call them. There is an essential order. And the first three commandments have to do with one thing and one thing only, and that is our worship of God or our devotion to God. So the first three commandments represent an uncompromising call to live in day-to-day worship and devotion to God. That's what the first three commandments are all about. It is about your worship and my worship to God and for God, upholding God. Why? You have to ask the question, why is that so important? Because only when the awe of God, only when we hold God in his rightful place, only when the awe of God rules our hearts, will we set everything else in its rightful place. That's it. Only when God is in his rightful place will everything else make sense. Okay? And, and that is so important. Worship is not just something that you and I do occasionally. Worship is not just something that you do on Sunday morning when you come here and sing. That is not worship. That is you and I coming together as a family and acknowledging God together. Yes, it is a part of worship. Okay, But worship is something that you and I do every day, 24-7. In fact, I will just tell you this. You are always worshiping someone or something. 24-7. But true worship, okay, it's not something that we just occasionally do. It is the foundation of who we are. So whatever you get, whatever has captured first place in our hearts will set the agenda for what we desire, 
what we think, what we say, and what we choose. We must understand that. Okay, That's the core of worship. So in light of this call to worship God above all else, here's the thing that as we read through these commandments, we tend to think of sin as breaking uh, the breaking of a specific rule, like the Ten Commandments, per se. But here's the reality of it. Here's what I really want us to catch this morning. In reality, the break, it is the breaking of a relationship that results in us breaking the rules or the law. It is our breaking our relationship with God that then causes us to break the rules that God has given us. The, relation, the, the law that God has set is all about His love towards us, poured on us. It's about His relationship with us and our relationship to Him. So it, the, the, the Ten Commandments are really about breaking a relationship which then results in us breaking the very law that he has given us. So every sin is first an assault on God's rightful place. It's a betrayal of our relationship to him and with him. That's important for us to understand. You see, a lot of times when we think of rules or we think of laws or whatever, you know, even at home, growing up at home, mom and dad had rules, and they were great rules, and there were reasons why we, dad and mom had those rules, okay? Why? Because they loved us, okay? So when I broke a, a, a rule that maybe my father had given me, basically what I was saying, it was an assault on his rightful place in my life. And so it is with God. And we need to understand that. That's why I was, you know, I've been pondering this this statement for a long time, uh, a statement that David makes in Psalm 51.4. Um, um, and, and, and here's, in the context of Psalm 51, David is confessing his sin, and, and here's what he has done. He has committed adultery and he, with Bathsheba, and he has had Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, put to death. So he has committed adultery and he's committed murder. But here's what David says. In verse 4 of Psalm chapter 51, he says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Every time I read that, it's like, what? Okay, but catch that. He says, Against you and you only have I sinned. And I want you to understand something this morning, because I've pondered this, this verse a lot. David is not minimizing the horrible offenses that he has committed against Bathsheba, or against Uriah, or against the entire kingdom of Israel. He is not minimizing what he has done. Here's what is happening, though. He, what he is doing is confessing the breaking of the first commandment, that he would love the Lord his God above all else. That is where David begins. That is where he begins. He begins with the first commandment, which in his eyes, in his heart, he understands this, which led to the disobedience and the compromise of all the rest. That is why this is so important for us. As we look at this, what does God require of us? He has shown the old man what the Lord requires of thee. Okay, It is so important for us to understand this. David had placed something and someone else above God. 
And his confession began right there with the loss of his awe of God. He had lost respect for God. He had lost honor for God and of God. He had lost that. He had put it aside because a lot of times that's what we do. We put the awe of God, our respect, our honor, our glory of God, we put it aside so that we can sin. So David is confessing there, and, and, and we, just, we just need to look at that and understand that this morning. Our love for God then was meant to lead us into loving relationships with others. That's why Jesus taught in Matthew chapter 22. He says, and, and he said to them, he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law, all the law and the prophets. Jesus summarizes it all, the Ten Commandments right here, in loving God and loving your neighbor. The Apostle Paul, through the words of our Lord, taught this. In, in Romans chapter 13, the passage that I read to you earlier, the commandments are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Romans chapter 13, verse 9. Summed up. What does that mean? Paul means that they are brought together. Everything is brought together. Summing up in verse 9 is sandwiched between two emphatic statements of the relationship between love and law. Two different things and, uh, that, that we need to catch. So in verse 8, the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. In verse 10, love is the fulfilling of the law. Paul does not mean that love has replaced the law. As if the new covenant renders the law irrelevant, if, if it, it might be. And I've heard that a lot growing up in the church. Well, we don't have to abide by the law, the Ten Commandments. Well, Hogwash. The law of God is God's law. It hasn't changed. It's not going to change. It will stay the same. And he has given it to you and I so that we know how to love him and we know how to love one another. That is why it is there. So, so Paul is following Christ's example and explaining what the foundation stone of the law is has been and always will be, and it is love. It is love for God and love for others. So I'm just as I'm just kind of laying out the groundwork here as we move into um, uh, the 6th, the 7th, and 8th commandment, um, one of the things I just want to say about commandments 6 through 10, okay, they're all negative. They're don't, do not do. Okay, we just came off of, of uh, uh, observe the Sabbath, and then honor your father and mother, which is a do. And now we come to the, the remaining five, and they're all do, do not. Do not do. They're, they're, they're in a negative context, a negative command, which together with the fifth commandment, begin to paint a picture of what it means to love our neighbor, what it, what it really looks like. Okay? So these commandments require some kind of action. Right? Some kind of action is required. So in the fifth commandment, when it says, when it says to us, um, children, honor, respect, obey your parents, there's an action that's required. I don't care how old you are today. If you still have parents, you honor your parents, right? Or at least you are called to. 
You're called to respect them and to, to honor them. When you were younger, you're called to obey them. We're reminded in the, in, the, in, the, in the text of old and new that we're reminded that it may be well with you. Kids, we're reminded of that. Honor your father and mother that it might be well with you. So there's a, an action that comes with that. Whereas uh, commandments 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, and we're just going to cover uh, uh, the 6, 7, and 8 today, but they, they require an inaction. So as honor your parents requires something honoring, respecting, obeying, okay? 6, 7, and 8 say, do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. We'll just finish it out. Do not give false testimony. And do not, uh, do not covet your neighbor's things. Do not, do not, do not, do not. When we're told do not, what do we want to do? We want to do. Okay, I mean, it's just, it's just something within us, but God is saying, do not. In other words, um, in loving our neighbor as ourself, God is calling us to live a life of honor and respect towards other people and their property. Towards other people and their property. So there's a couple things that I want to look at here. I want to look at the vertical truth, the horizontal truth, and then the practical truth of these of these six commandments, okay? Uh, not, the, not the six, but uh, six, seven, and eight. So in the vertical faith, uh, vertical truth in faith, the question is, what does this truth mean in my relationship with God, okay? And in, uh, in Romans chapter 13, verses 8 through 10, uh, it, it expresses the directive to love. Okay, there is a there is the command expresses a directive to love through the scriptures. Christ followers are directed to be obedient to this this idea of loving our neighbor. Okay, if you love me, you will keep my commandments in John chapter 14, verse 15. So one of the things that we understand in our vertical relationship with God our vertical, this vertical truth in faith. How, what does this truth mean in my relationship with God? One of the things that I just want to say here, obedience glorifies God. Obedience glorifies God. Okay? And I just want you to know something. That's your life purpose. That's my life purpose. To glorify God. How do we glorify God? Through obedience. Okay, here's an example. Husbands, love your wives. Is that a suggestion? You can answer me. It's not. It's a command. Hus wives, submit yourselves, therefore, to your husbands. Is it a suggestion? No. It's a command. There are commands that God has given us. And why do we do them? We do them because when we do them well, we glorify God. Husbands, when we love our wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we glorify God. Wives, when we, when we yield ourselves to our husband, when we follow his lead, when we, when, we, um, when we walk alongside of him, not as a doormat, okay? That's the thing about submission in our culture that has been so beat up. Submission is not a doormat word. 
okay? It is, I yield to you as my leader and my guide and the one that I trust and follow. Okay, and, and what are we doing again? We are, as Christ submitted himself to the Father and died in your place. So again, as we think about this vertical truth and faith, how does this affect my relationship? My friends, I just want to say that obedience glorifies God. Kids, when God says, honor your father and mother for this is right and it may be well with you, I'm going to tell you that there is a direct result to honoring your father and mother. We also know that there is a, a direct result to dishonoring and disrespecting our parents. And the two are diametrically apart from each other. Kids, it doesn't say only if your moms and dads are great and treat you well and if they're believers. It says honor your father and mother. It doesn't, I'm, not, I'm not saying here that if, you're, if your parents are abusive or if they're taking advantage of you or any of those kinds of things, God has called you to honor your father and mother. I know in our, in our, uh, in Teresa's in my married life, when, after Teresa and I got married and, and uh, she had a stepdad, Eugene O'Dell, and uh, he was just a breath of fresh air in our family. Just, we didn't have him around very long. Um, Teresa was ticked that she had another dad. I can say this because Teresa's not here today, okay? So, uh, uh, anyway, she was upset. She didn't want to have another dad. And she gave him, you fill in, no. She, she made it terrible for him. Then Teresa came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ in her life. And all of a sudden, I mean, it was like a 180 degree turn, boom, change. And she was just totally radically changed from the inside out. And I'll never forget the day that she sat down with her stepdad and she says, I have treated you wrong. I have not treated you right. I have not loved you. But I just want you to know, you are my dad right now. And so I yield myself to you. And I want, I want you to be the, the man that protects me and guides me. If someone wants to take me out on a date, they have to ask you. And he was like, who is this person? And what did you do with Teresa? You know, and I'm telling you what, that whole relationship changed to the point where Eugene came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. God was glorified through obedience. God was glorified through obedience. That's the vertical truth that we're dealing with here. The, to love our neighbor means that we are to be at peace with them, that we are not to dishonor uh, others directly or indirectly with sexual impurity that we respect others possessions and property this is how this is how we express love which fulfills the law and thus glorifies God through our obedience and even though these commands are focused on relationships with others disobedience in these particular areas causes us to be at odds with God, at odds with God. That's the thing that we need to understand. When we're at odds with people, what we are really at odds with is God. And, and we are not glorifying our Lord and Savior. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil and hold fast to what is good. In Colossians chapter 2, 23 through 25, Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that 
from the Lord, you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. It's God's work, folks, not ours. Okay? So that's the vertical. That's the vertical truth in love. The, the horizontal truth in love. The question is, what does this truth mean in my relationships with humanity? What does it mean right here with us, with people on the outside? When we hold God in the highest place, it magnifies, it is magnified in our love for other people. So when we hold God in his highest place, okay, when, we, when he is exalted above all else in our lives, we will have the desire and the capacity to love in ways that will glorify him. And I'm just going to tell you, many of us are going to have to strive diligently to do this. You know, uh, many, many years ago now, uh, uh, I was convicted. Um, I, I, I had this Honda lawnmower, and, and it took me all of about 25 minutes to mow my lawn. And I had this neighbor next to me, his name is George, who just passed away last week. Okay? Um, I, I was mowing my lawn, and he was out there, and all he had to mow his lawn with was a weed eater. He's older, he's an electric weed eater, and he's out there, and he would, he would actually take a chair with him, and he would weed a section, and then he would sit down, and, the, and this man was just pale, pale in the face. And the Lord just, you know, I was mowing my lawn, I cleaned up the mower, started to put it away in the shed, and I looked across, and there's George just huffing and puffing, trying to get his lawn mowed, and, and Dan says, are you going to sit here and just look at that, or are you going to do something about it? And I, and I, I pushed my mower across down to his place, and, and I said, George, I would like to start mowing your lawn for you. So for six years, I mowed George's lawn. But the cool thing is about this, you guys, is that for six years, I would mow, and then, uh, and then he would come outside, and, and we would sit around, and we would talk, and we would share. And he was not a believer, and uh, the last time, just two weeks ago, before he passed, I had the privilege, I didn't get to actually pray with him, but I had the privilege of actually sharing the entire gospel with him. Can I just tell you something, folks? That would have never, ever, ever happened if I had not first, in love, stepped out of my own comfort zone and said, can I mow your lawn? I'm not telling you to go mow people's lawns. That's not what I'm telling you today. What I am telling you is that God, in the, in the horizontal relationships, God wants us, as we exalt God and as we honor God, as we exalt Him above all else we have, He gives us, I'm just going to tell you, He gives us the desire and the capacity to love in ways that glorify Him. I just want to challenge you with that. And, you know, at times, loving our, our, our neighbor, uh, uh, such as in... in in commandment five and loving our, our parents is we do this through obedience and we do it through honor. We're in the context of the sixth commandment. Um, loving our neighbor means that we do not hurt or we do not hate or that we're not 
hostile, but we are patient and peaceful and, and we pursue even our enemies with love. And, you know, even, even there, folks, you know what? I'm just going to tell you in that relationship, he and I were on polar opposites of what we believed about God. <laughs> and we had some pretty strong arguments at times. But in love and just patience and, and, and being at peace with him and just, just lovingly pursuing him and just loving him until I'll never forget this. And I'm not bragging and saying this, but he, he sat me down one day and he said, Dan, you're the closest thing that I have ever seen and experienced that points to Jesus Christ. There it is, folks. Okay, God does the rest of the work. I pray that that George um, had the opportunity to hear what I had to say to him finally and, and to open his heart and mind to Jesus Christ. But, but we just need to understand in that sixth commandment of loving our neighbor, sometimes it means that we don't hurt or hate or that we're not hostile, but we are patient and, and peaceable towards them, pursuing even our enemies in love. In the seventh commandment, we are to abstain from sexual immorality and live in purity and, and to be faithful, whether in marriage or in single life, avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, and, or desires, or whatever might lead to them. And my friends, we live in an age that is totally sexed up. Can I just say it that way? I didn't say messed up. I said sexed up. Okay? No, so, sex, my friends, is something that God, God designed and God made. God made it for marriage. God made it to, to be a bond between a husband and a wife. God calls us to, to, to cherish that and to, to, to nurture that and to, to be truthful to that. And it's so easy for us to, to look in other places to be fulfilled, to be satisfied, to be gratified. And as soon as we go there, my friends, as David said, against you and you only have I sinned, it begins right there. You have to go right back to the back. And you basically what we've done is we've denied God his rightful place in our hearts. And in that case, I've said sex is more important to me than God. We could add, besides sex, anything in that blank, okay? Please understand that. In the eighth, we don't, we don't take without permission that which belongs to someone else or withhold any good from someone that we might benefit, um, someone that, 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 that we may benefit, we may be a benefit to them. Romans chapter 12, 16 says, live in harmony with one another, if possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 20, it says, if anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13 says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. So there's the vertical and the, and the horizontal, and then there's the practical, the practical truth in action here. How, how can I put this truth into action? And as the scripture states, these commandments hinge. They all hinge on love because we love God and we love others. Here's what, what the, the catechism questions. Here's the answer to the six. We do not hurt. We do not hate. We, do, we, are, are, we are not hostile to our neighbor. 
but we are patient and peaceable, pursuing even our enemies with love. The seventh, that, that we... Um, that we abstain from sexual immorality and live purely and faithfully, whether in marriage or in single life. Avoiding all impure actions, looks, words, thoughts, or desires, or whatever may lead us to that area. And eight, that we do not take without permission that which belongs to someone else or withhold any good from someone we might benefit. Folks, as we move through these commandments, what does the Lord require? And it's a question. We sang about it today. But to, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God, it's another way of saying the great commandment of loving God and loving others. It's, it's the same idea, the same principle. When God is at the center of our thoughts and our attitudes and our words and our actions, Here's what I'm going to tell you. Here's what I'm going to say that you and I can experience. I'm going to tell you that this is a reality. This is truth. You and I will find ourselves honoring him and reflecting him in the relationships that he has given us. And I'm going to be so bold as to say this. If that's not where you are, then I'm going to question whether or not Jesus is real in your heart and life today. I'm just going to question that today. I'm going to be as bold as to say that today. If you can say you love God, but all of your relationships are a mess, either there is great forgiveness and confession that needs to happen, or I'm going to say God is not the Lord of your life. Because if God is the Lord of your life, if God is in his rightful place, if he is at the center of our hearts, and yes, folks, we battle with this day in, day out, 24-7, we battle with the centrality of God in our hearts. I know that, okay? But I'm going to tell you, if there is not a desire to honor Him and reflect Him in our relationships with others on the horizontal, then I'm going to question our salvation. You, you think about that today. You consider that today. Truly consider that. Go before the Lord. Folks, if there is a love for God, it equals a love for others. It has to be there. That is what God has called us to do. That is what He has called us to be. That is how we are His ambassadors for Christ and loving Him and loving others. I just want you to bow your heads with me. I'm going to read a passage of Scripture and then we're going to uh, sing a song in closing. And that here's the passage. It's in Romans 15, 5 through 7. And here's our prayer, our closing prayer. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in, a, in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may be one voice that you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Let's stand as we sing that song one more time.
Give us one pure and holy. Know Christ? Maybe you haven't given your heart to Christ and you feel compelled to do that today. I'd invite you to come. Come up here and I I will pray with you today. I will meet with you today as we sing this song together. Here we go. Give me one pure and holy passion And give me one magnificent obsession Give me one glorious ambition for my life To know and follow hard after you To know and follow hard to know and follow hard after you and to grow as your disciple in your truth this world is empty frail and poor compared to knowing you my Lord lead me on and I will run after you lead me on Father, we come to you today. We pray that you would lead us on through your word, through your commands. Lord, through your teaching. Lord, may we follow hard after you. God, may that be seen in our lives, at home, at school, at play, at work, wherever it may be. God, may that be seen in such a way that when people see our good works, that they would glorify you in heaven. God, may you be glorified today. Through us and in us, God, empower us today. Lord, to do the things that you've asked to do and to not do the things that you've asked us not to do. So that in do, so doing, we honor and glorify you. God, we ask all these things in Jesus' wonderful and precious name and all God's people said today, amen. amen. God bless as you go from here.